This is the Meta Mindcast. Dating back into the fourth millennium BCE, ancient Crete was a center of Minoan civilization, which flourished for some 3,000 years. The island of Crete being the center of movement of trade between the Greek, Mesopotamia, and Egypt, linking Europe, the Middle East, and Africa all together. Being the center of a high mercantile society, the mercantile, the mercur, the mercurial, having their own self-sufficient croplands in a beautiful climate, growing wheat, olives, grapes, also making olive oil and wine, with isolation from predators being on an island. But Crete lay on a geographically unstable crustal plate convergence where the Eurasian and African tectonic plates met. So the emission of earthquakes on this hidden island were often, and eventually it would be a volcanic eruption followed by a tsunami that would eventually fall upon them leading to the fall of these people. These peoples of Crete used hieroglyphics much like the Egyptians and practice sports like bull jumping where they would challenge the bull and essentially as it charged they would take the bull by the horns projecting themselves to safety and as well they practiced the sport of boxing. Crete was the place of King Minos who worshipped bulls from above much like Mithra and Poseidon had granted King Minos a special bull that rose from the foam of the sea and Poseidon demanded that this special beast must be sacrificed to him in due time. Minos adoring this strange sea bull so much rather than sacrifice it he determined to trick Poseidon by instead sacrificing an ordinary bull, leading Aphrodite to cast a spell on Minos's queen, having her fall in love with the bull of the abyss, and eventually making love with it and birthing the Minotaur, a chimeric creature with the head and tail of a bull and the physical body of a man who will later be trapped in the labyrinthian creation of Daedalus, the brilliant Greek inventor and craftsman. Crete was also the mystical birthplace of the god Zeus, and Crete was also a socialist state as all handicraft production, commercial activities, and written records 
were centered on the financing of large public structures. In roughly 3200 BCE, a large number of newcomers appeared with symbols of the trident, the double axe, and the figure eight shield. These were the Delta tribes moving in from Lower Egypt, bringing the Libyan goddess with the spear and snake, spindle and goat skin bib. And soldiers began to train their hair in a single long lock laying over one shoulder and a loincloth took the place of the kilt. And regarding the city of Knossos, K-N-O-S-S-O-S, professor of genealogy and paleontology at Stuttgart University, Hans George Wunderlich speaks of many puzzling mysteries about this 1200 room palace there with soft alabaster steps with no wear on them at all and what appeared to be doorways would be sealed with stone slabs and there were bathtubs equipped with drain holes but no plumbing Hans George coming to the conclusion that this was a great necropolis that the palace of King Minos was instead a city of the dead never intended for the living but was a place where a powerful cult of the dead practiced elaborate sacrifice burial rites and ritual games of death and as legend told that it was a sinister place belonging entirely to the underground and a devouring god where the only living inhabitants were the resident undertakers and the embalmers being experts on death and the afterlife where other nations brought their dead for occult care in the afterworld Hans George Wunderlich has a great body of evidence to show that Crete was born from Egypt and had a long-standing relationship with Egypt. The Minoans of Crete were a dark and elegant people whose origins are mysterious. And the name Minoan came from a British archeologist, Arthur Evans, who derived it from Greek mythology. And with this ancient trade, Egypt had a great variety of healthy foods, plant oils and fats, bread, milk, lentils, cottage cheese, cakes, onions, meats, dates, melons, figs. They had ostrich eggs, almonds, peas, beans, pomegranates, and olives cultivating their own elmer wheat beans chickpeas flax and vegetables and barley was used for brewing beer and even the papyrus plant which was used for making paper the roots were extracted 
and used for food as well. With the Nile River also supplying a good variety of fish and waterfowl and some even domesticated hyenas. And as I was going through parsing out all of this information while using technology to find the Egyptian goddess Tech, I could unfortunately find nothing. And I began to wonder, could this goddess Tech, Tekka of old, reemerge anew, hiding herself in the waters of the Absu, the waves of the WWW World Wide Web, matching the hieroglyphic of the cosmic energetic water of the Egyptians, hiding like the shadows swimming in the chaos. And as a result, I have accumulated quite a number of references to her in books. In Egyptian, tek means to attach, and the tekia is the person who has adhered or attached. Tekia was also the goddess of the months, and tekin is to accompany, and teka is to join or to be joined, and ta'at was the teacher, the illuminator, the dog of the moon, the moon dog. And Tekka is to illuminate, to see, to behold, to fix or attach. And Telch is the divine teacher. And the first Teking was by reckoning the days, the weeks, the months, the moons, the stars and planets, ticking them off by tens as the days moved by, teching or reckoning time. Hence, Teki was the goddess of months and Teka was the lunar goddess, the teacher as reckoner, calculator and measurer, recording cycles on the branch of a palm. And Tekka, the lunar goddess, is associated with the reflected light of Ra, the sun, and is associated with lunacy and the negrito light of the moon, associated with decomposition and renewal in cyclic form. And this name carried through time as the Anglo-Saxon Tekan became the base word for the modern teacher. The Egyptian Tek as a spark to spark or also to sparkle. And Kar Tek as the title of the great bear, the mother of Baal or Zeus. This Kar Tek spelled K a-R-T-E-K, that being Ashara, Estarte, Estara, Eshira, and Ria. And Takin, T-A-K-H-E-N, is the term for winking 
of the eye or the sparkling of the eye. And it was from this Kartek, the spark holder, who would light the ball fire or the need fire lit from a spark in the ceremony. The vibratory structure of the Egyptian language and its resonance in relation to the number was not haphazard. And these images, these pictograms gave profound clues to cosmic understanding and the interplay of these symbols to create words through the letter play and the interplay of the structure of the word it told you its meaning. Meanings with great underlying cosmic stories behind every word. The Egyptian's life from birth to death revolved around Heka. Upon birth, the fates of Parsis or the seven Hathers, these soothsaying prophet priestesses were there for birth and many times prophesied doom. As in the story called The Doomed Prince and in the case of the birth of Bata or Saka, the sister of Anubis, the seven Hathors were said to have spoken in unison with one mouth that she would die a violent death. This being from the tale of two brothers. And it was Sefek whose name signifies seven. This is the word of the goddess who represents the mother of time. The Sefek as the great mother bear, the seven stars in the Big Dipper, the Big Dipper to the Egyptians as an ox leg spinning in the sky. And she was the living word and was of the Sevek Kronos, the crocodile dragon, the pre-planetary Saturn, who was her son and consort. And this puts Sefek in alignment with Terra or Gaia. And in Egyptian, the word Tatu is the eternal and has been the place that energizes the idea of forever, giving us our modern word for tattoo. And it was the cult of the Anku or the Ankh that was associated with caves and thus labyrinths and thus also with the holy female essence. These high priestesses and ritual lordesses handed down from Lilith through the Scythian Pictish lines down to the Sumerian goddesses. In Sumeria, we have Ast, who became Isis in Egyptian, and the Sumerian Nebhat became Neftis in Egypt, and Ningkursag became Hathor in Egypt. 
all the way down, handing this lineage to the Messaline, the Morgana, and the Arthurian Lady of the Lake. As well as being in line with the dragon line of the Christos and the Magdalene, the daughter of the Jedi priest of the Temple of Jerusalem. In Egyptian texts, the mention of the Traveler is as a force of destruction, one that makes an end of ours, saying, the Traveler who dost pass over and dost travel through, untold spaces requiring millions and hundreds of thousands to pass over. Thou passest through them in peace, and thou steereth thy way across the watery abyss to the place that thouest lovest. Sink down, aid dost make an end to the hours. And initially I associated this with the comet, but it also fits the description of an entity possessing, also called travelers or the traveler between realms. And the steereth thy way across the watery abyss to the place that thou lovest, being possibly agape or sex magic. And in seeking enlightenment from the dome chamber, being the skull, it passes into the pituitary, being that of Isis, where it invokes the pineal gland, who is Ra. And this gland, when sliced in half, is the shape of the eye of Ra. And this being the process by which DMT, dimethyltryptamine, is secreted and the eye of Ra or the eye of horns is opened. E.A. Wallace Budge has noted in art on papyrus illustrating the entrance of the soul of the dead into Osiris's judgment hall that the deceased person will have a pine cone on their head. This corresponds to the eye of the Cyclops seeing 360 degrees, much like the Greek mystics with their Thersus of Bacchus, a pine cone on a staff used for anointing of the initiate, representing enlightenment, and which Descartes the like called the pineal gland the abode of the gods. This most ancient Ra or Amen-Ra, who was primarily worshipped in Thebes, this Amen from Amente, meaning western land or shadow land or underworld, the sun of the shadow land. And is this the black sun? And the hieroglyph for Amen 
was a tall pole, like that of the letter I, topped with a sun disk, just like the lowercase letter I. And it was the yew tree that was the original Egyptian tree of life, most sacred in their groves, orchards, and temple precincts. And Ralph Ellis tells us that these yew trees featured prominently in the Egyptian sacred mystery schools, traditions, and initiations. And this yew was the symbol of death and related to underworld rites. This yew also traditionally being the title of an elder druid. Possibly looked at this way because all the animals that ate of its bark or leaves were poisoned to death, except for the stag and the deer. The stag and the deer extremely sacred to the druids. And modern botanists tell us that all yew trees in the world descend from two Irish yews, home of the druids. And Mayo, as in County Mayo in Ireland, means yew forest, Y-E-W forest. Looking at the study of modern genetics, we find that the Celts did not contribute to the Aboriginal inhabitants of Ireland. According to genealogist Professor Brian Sykes in his book, Saxon Vikings and Celts, the genetic roots of Britain and Ireland more so confirm that some 9,000 years ago, these tribes crossed land bridges and moved east towards Egypt. And it was Ireland that is and was the shadowlands of the Egyptians, the western lands, the place where this surviving group washed up after the great deluge of the past ice age, after the sinking of Atal. And in Ireland are Egyptian tombs, just as in Egypt are, as described by Sir Elliot Smith, the Caucasian features of Queen Nefertiti and her sister Mutnajmet, the wife of Pharaoh Hera Imheb, and their daughter Mereitaten, who was Skota. And there are many red-haired mummies in Egypt. And it was this Skota, Mereitaten, the eldest daughter of Mutnajmet, who fled Egypt after the fall of Akhenaten through Spain and back to their oldest land of origin, the Western lands. And Queen Scota's tomb is located in Ireland's County Kerry. And looking back through most books on Egyptian history, covering the pre-dynastic rulers, it is very sparsely covered how the possible links to the Druids is just everywhere you look. 
Ignatius Donnelly in his book Atlantis, the Antediluvian World tells us in ancient Sanskrit, Ireland is referred to as Hir Anya, the island of the sun, to wit of sun worship. In other words, as preeminently the center of that religion, which was shared by all the ancient races of Europe, Asia, Africa, and the Americas. It is believed that Ireland was the Garden of Phobos of the Western mythologists. Connor McDotty conveys that Ireland was the first mistress of the sea. It was the first and only worldwide empire which has ever been known, for it was spiritual. It was greater in extent than Persia, Greek, Roman, or Mughal ever attained to be. Also in Ireland is Newgrange in Gaelic, Bru Nabani, one of the oldest megalithic structures on the planet, perfectly aligned with the winter solstice when a thin beam of light shines perfectly down a long corridor into a small room for three days only a year, illuminating a triple spiral in the center of this mound for 17 seconds a day, with the surrounding stones of the mound holding a wealth of detailed astronomical data. This Newgrange, Bru Nabani, laying on the Boyne River in the county Meath in Ireland, this river Boyne being dedicated to the goddess Boan, the goddess of water fertility, and her name is interpreted as white cow, this animal being sacred to the Druids. And it is believed by some that the true stone of Bethel, the stone of the house of God mentioned in the Old Testament, stands in front of this Karan's entrance. And it was these megalithic people, the Arya, the elders, who were the ancestors of the Druids and Celts, these Formorians, also responsible for nearby twin sites Noeth and Daweth, Stonehenge, Avberi, Karnak, and tens of thousands of other Cyclopean chambers, carns, mounds, monuments, and leyline structures wrapping the entire globe. One ancient story in this region tells of an ancient Fomorian king, King Mor, and his great tower made of glass. From this tall tower on Tory Island, this evil king with his brother Conan kept watch over the whole of the western lands of Fomoria, 
for Ireland. To accomplish this, he used a magic lens or a seeing stone, some believe being a great crystal. And in another legend, the young sun king, Lu, L-U-G-H, did battle with a Formerian giant called Baylor of the Evil Eye, dating back some 5,000 years before the Israelites. Like Samson and Goliath, Lu rode out against the giant with his only weapon, a sling, and took out Baylor's evil eye, thereby slaying the giant who was the scourge of his people, the Formarians. As forces moved, the fractal expansion of hunter-gatherers into city-states and the trade between regions evolved, we can begin to see the interrelationship of these gods and goddesses by their fruits, the characteristics by which they stand, and many times they will tell us some of their multiple names that these primal forces moved on from one culture to another, carried by soldiers, sailors, merchants, wandering monks of the mystery schools. The Irish Hearn, the great specter hunter, is the Indian Shiva, the destroyer transformer, is also the Greek Orphix, Orpheus, torn apart by beasts, is also the Roman Mercury, patron of thieves and tricksters and merchants, is also the Greek Hermes, patron of travelers, thieves and merchants, and is the Egyptian Thoth of magic, wisdom and the moon, and in charge of the judgment of the dead. All these forces having to do with transformation in the underworld, the negrito of alchemy, and the manifestation of the phoenix force rising anew from death. Thoth, with his companion Nehem Ethwa, who is she who embraces those in need. According to the influential and far-reaching priestly guild established in the sacred city of Hermopolis in Upper Egypt, Thoth was the universal demiurge, Yaldabaoth, who had created the world through the sound of his own voice alone, bringing reality into being with the utterance of a single word of power. Known as the one who understood the mysteries of all that is hidden under the heavenly vault and could bestow wisdom on selected individuals, Thoth had inscribed his knowledge on some 36,535 scrolls and hid them throughout the whole of the earth. And these sacred scrolls were to be sought after 
but only found by those worthy to use the good for all of humanity. In India, the son of Satyaviti, of immeasurable mental power, composed some 100,000 sacred slokas, and it was said that he who reads it to others and they that hear it read attain the word of Brahman and become equal with the very gods themselves. And the cock is also uh, represented as a phoenix as well as a crow, the bird of announcing the dawn. In Egyptian, the cock is from keke, which denotes light or the horizon, the equinox, to turn and return. The cock is the same as to the night as the gi or the cuckoo is to the year and she wobbles as she flies as the phoenix is to the entirety of the cycle and as the bird of returning light the phoenix became the sun and the cuckoo flies around the sun in the yearly cycle and the cock calls to the rise of the worldly sun at its first light every day. And moving back to Greece, Crete in modern times is an island that you could drive across in uh, about an hour and a half. In size, it is some 3,219 square miles and the civilization of olives and processing olive oil became one of the main staples of the Mediterranean trade and olives are said to be grown on the Greek Isles as far back as some 50 to 60,000 years ago with their uh, society based around the triad of cereals, olives, and grapes and legumes were also in most every pot. Breakfast would be a barley bread dipped in wine with figs or olives. Pancakes were common with the oldest reference to a frying pan by the 5th century BCE poet Cratinus. One recipe for pancakes called tagentias was made from wheat flour, olive oil, honey, and curdled milk. Lunches were light and there was a small afternoon meal as well. And it was dinner that was the big meal. And during this time, the men and women ate their meals separately and slaves would serve the food this being a large exporting mercantile culture. Aristotle notes that the poor, having no slaves, would ask their wives or children to serve the food. With high tables 
for normal meals to stand about, and low tables for banquets to relax at, loaves of flatbread, terracotta crocks, plates and bowls. The use of the fork was generally unknown, and people ate with their fingers. There were knives for cutting meats and spoons for soups and broth, and pieces of bread were used as a spoon or a napkin to wipe things up. Bitter velch, black beans, broad beans, chickpeas, lentils, garden peas, fresh and dried fruits, nuts, figs, raisins, pomegranates, apples, fragrant full pigs baking in ovens, and the Spartan warrior class made a black soup called Meles Zomos, made from the blood and legs of a pig. Plutarch says it was so valued that it was all that the elderly fed upon, leaving the flesh for young children. And in Greece, the apple has a strange and interesting story. From the goddess Discordia rolling the golden apple, causing the gods to go into discord, to the apple that started the Trojan War, even Odysseus longed for the apple orchard of his youth on his return from the Trojan War. The Norse gods owed their immortality to the apple, and the sacred apple tree of the Druids held the sacred mistletoe only harvested with a solid golden knife. Interestingly enough, the Greek nor the Latin had a primitive word for the apple, malum and pomus being philological afterthoughts. The earliest link with the name apple arising in human vernacular is from the arrival of the god Apollo, the dark force that lies awaiting Apocalypto deep in the bottomless pit, the Apollian apple of Apollo. Says in the ancient Greek writings tell that Apollo came from the north, the region of the Hyperboreans, bringing with him medicinal gardens. In these gardens were the Apollo tree or the apple tree. Founding the cult of Apollo Melialis, this is Apollo and Asclepius in the city of Athens on a low hill on Mount Cernortian. Having ties to the Minoans of Crete, evidence of an open-air altar for sacrifices and votives were left in the ash with bronze double axes, bronze swords, clay animal figurines, and was never later built upon. And it was said that as early as 11,000 BCE, the higher gods found it difficult to descend further down than to the mountains of the moon, visits to the earth becoming less and less frequent. 
It was believed that on these visits, these highest of the high accidentally left behind the strange and unearthly mistletoe, a plant being parasitic they saw could not grow in the soil of the earth, but which they believed grew naturally on the moon. Mistletoe growing most commonly on oaks and apples. Both trees, the oak and the apple, being sacred to the Druids. Viewing these trees as analogous to the skull, or the shape of the head, and the mistletoe with its iridescent, creamy white berries blooming when the tree appeared seasonally dead during the winter solstice. This divine plant of the high blossoming on top of the crown chakra of the head from the dead and rising again, Apple or Apollo. As meeting someone under this mysterious lunar plant requires a kiss in accordance with Christmas tradition, as so with the apple in early Greek times, to throw an apple to a girl was a proposal to marriage. And if the girl were to catch the apple, this was an acceptance. And as the Sumerians migrated into Chaldea, a new type of goddess arose from the progress of irrigation, connected to watery grasses, sledges, and reeds. Nina with Nidaba, her sister, possibly a counterpart of herself. This Nina represented in very ancient seals with branches of plants springing forth from her shoulders and her sides, as well as holding these plants in her hands. They spoke of her as the holy reed Nidaba. And it was this point that writing with a reed as a writing stylus first came into play and writing with ink and a reed supplanted the more ancient tradition of the ancient stone inscriptions on clay tablets and Nidaba became the patroness of literature which she passed to Geshtinana, the sister of Tammuz. She would bring astronomical data to some in their dreams as well as the reed, her symbol, representing the gift of prophecy. This reed relating to the sliver of the moon, as well as the writing nib, both relating to Thoth and Tekka or Isis. This reed as her symbol, representing the gift of prophecy, and she knew all the Kabbalistic correspondences of numbers with also the title of Nidaba of Numbers with the ultimate title found in a sacred bowl, Nidaba of Seris, accredited as teaching humans how to grow, preserve, 
and prepare grain and corn into flour. In a granite carved stele of the Pharaoh Nebra, the Lord of the Sun, who was the second Pharaoh of the second dynasty between 2980 and 2686 BCE, Pharaoh Nebra introduced to Egypt the worship of the goat of Mendes, Dejet in Greek. This goat of Mendes as a human with a goat's head and tail and a goat's legs, much like our ancient Atlantean Inki, the goat man. Herodotus relates that all male goats were held in reverence here. In one daytime ritual, the highest of the he-goats copulated with a woman as an agape or a form of sex magic. And these Mendesians paid reverence to all goats, but more the male goats, particularly to the highest of the he-goats or the alpha he-goat. And on the death of this he-goat, the whole of the public would mourn throughout the whole of the district. And it was said that both Pan and the goat, Mendes, both were worshipped as gods of generation. But also take into account that when we say goat in Egypt, Mendes was represented as a ram and was considered to be the soul of Osiris before his rebirth as Horus. We also see Reshep, a Caucasian Phoenician king in royal attire with a goat head coronet. These Phoenicians, as the Goths, worshippers of the horned stag, and all carnivorous beasts were considered as unspiritual. In Ireland, we have the blonde Irish Christos making the ancient sign of the Gat or God, the goat. This sign of Gat is the okay hand sign. And the red cross was the Phoenicians Britanna from Ireland to Scotland. And the Kedosh, the spiritual elders, the elect, the Eastern Kedosh as the Magi and the Western Kedosh as the Druids. The highest of the Kedosh, both the East and the West was Thoth with his goat horn crown and goat staff or wand, the symbol of the elect. And Thoth attributes a divine nature to the serpent and the serpent tribe, followed by both the Phoenicians and the Egyptians. The serpent as the most esteemed of all the dragon reptiles of a fiery nature, exhibiting incredible celebrity, moving or gliding by its own spirit without use of hands or feet, being long-lived by its ability 
to shed its skin, renewing its youth. All of this recorded in the sacred books upon which accounts this earthly animal is introduced into the sacred rites and mysteries. And it was Thoth who was the counselor of Thamos, also known as Nimrod. It was also Thoth, or the Greek Hermes, who was the numberer, identified with the moon. And Thoth was the lord of the moon and the dispenser of time and held a palm branch emblematic of the year. And later in time, many would become the lord of the moon as well. Interestingly enough, this links Lord Thoth with the goddess Tekka, both teching time, also relating to Nana, Isis, and Ishtar, the lunar goddess energy spirit in a very morning star, evening star way, as to Lucifer and Venus. Like a new moon gleaming in the foam of the turn of the rising tide and the light of the shadow of the moon, the feminine side served Thoth in his retreat in the moon. And Thoth Hermes hides in the moon because of the secret wisdom that he keeps. This Thoth in the moon as the manifest logos of the light side and the concealed deity or dark wisdom as the dark side of the moon. In this mysterious mistress of the skyship, he rides through both day and night, in both dark and light. And Thoth, speaking of the feminine power of the lunar turning, speaking of her power repeatedly, we find the moon calling herself the light which shineth in the dark. And when the primitive gods Shu and Tefnut in Egyptian were lost in the primordial waters and were saved by God's eye, which was sent out to save them, this eye in the night was Isis as the moon, the monthly cycle, the number 13. Isis saying, begun in darkness, my journey could only be completed in light. Isis also tied to the yearly cycle through Sirius and agriculture, both plant cycle through the observation of Sirius and fleshly cycle through the observation of the moon. Diodorus writes of an inscription carved in a column at Nysa in Arabia, where Isis describes herself. She is said to have said, I am Isis, queen of this country. I was instructed by Mercury. No one can destroy the laws which I have established. I am the eldest daughter of Saturn most ancient of gods. I am the wife and sister of King Osiris. 
I first made known to mortals the use of wheat. I am the mother of Horus the king. In my honor was built this city of Babaste. Rejoice, O Egypt, rejoice, land that gave me birth. And least us not also forget that it was Helen of Troy who was behind the starting of the Trojan War, who was also a moon child. The moon in crescent form is a glyph representing the philosophical Mercury as a lotus petal. But when seen as a reed, as a writing utensil, he stands for Hermes Thoth. In this station, as the secretary and advisor to Queen Isis. Quoting Madame Blavatsky in The Secret Doctrine, she tells us the moon is dead only so far as regards of her inner principles. Physically, she is only a semi-paralyzed body, maybe. She is aptly referred to in occultism as the insane mother, the great sidereal lunatic. In the early days of Egypt, the goddess Sopdet, known as the triangle or sharp one, and she was used for the solar year and kept the year with celebrations of Wep Renpet, the Egyptian New Year. As a goddess of fertility based around the yearly flood of the Nile after the rise of Sirius, the dog star, she was also a psychopomp, this Sopdet, guiding deceased pharaohs through the Egyptian underworld. And over time was completely absorbed by the mystical Isis. And associating with the flood of the Nile, Isis was also known as Sirius, the Resurrector. The Egyptians made small mummies from linen bags stuffed with corn. And these corn dollies, when watered and corn sprouted through the bag, was seen as a symbol of the great god reborn. This is Osiris being reborn as Horus, the Resurrector, sprouted and growing from the underworld. And our modern urn being a vessel for serving water or tea traditionally holds 28 pints. And this relates to the Egyptian urm, U-R-M, to the urn, U-R-N. And this urm, the Egyptian urm, is the inundation of the flood of the Nile, where at its highest measure in Elephante, measured consistently 28 cubits high. While Plutarch tells us that the Egyptians considered the rising of the Nile to bear a proportion to the variant of light in the moon, as well as 28 being the mystical measure of lunar time, being 13 months of 
28 days for one earthly cycle around the sun. This lunar calendar being much more accurate than the currently used solar calendar having to add leap days or time out of time. Then with this great river Nile rising, bringing the fertile river silt and distributing it on the fields, the days around mid-July to late August had many feasts to Sirius as Isis or the dog star, the bright and shining star Merca to the Freemasons. This same five-pointed star seen on crests and flags worldwide. And these hottest days of summer had the name we still use in modern times from this dog star, the dog days of summer. And this dog star's full cycle took 1,461 years in full, taking 19 full cycles for one turning of the grand sky clock, the full sidereal year or the turning of the ages. When this Nile overflowed at its peak, Diodorus tells us, and when the waters were coming down full sweep, the river for its impetuosity and exceeding swiftness of its course was then called the Eagle. And after the flood, the Nile Valley was one of the most fertile of all lands. And as a concept, the Nile was the river, as well as the ocean and the sea. Anciently, that was overflowing as in primordial times. It was from Ham's son who had led a colony into lower Egypt and settled there, building great enclosures to confine its waters in a colossal building project. So the waters of the overflow could settle out being harnessed, creating the land of Ham or the land of Kim. Of the great black fertile soil, this blackness relating to the negrito of alchemy and the prima materia, the primal material for the production of food and agriculture in general. This being Ham's son, Mizraim or Mizraim. His title as the embanker of the seas, basically creating these embankments to harness the river Nile to collect the silt for the process of growing. Apuleius tells us that he was initiated and the goddess Isis revealed herself to him as the first of the celestials and the uniform manifestation of the gods and goddesses whose one sole divinity, the whole orb of the earth venerated and under a manifold form with different rites and under a variety of appellations, she declares herself to be at once Pes in Utica, the mother of the gods. 
Mother Isis being related to the serpent power of regeneration, shedding its skin symbolically resurrected just as the earth is resurrected every spring. This virgin goddess carries in her left hand a sistrum, almost a metal-like rattle, along with a symbol. And this symbol, when struck, tuned to the note of nature, being fa, fa being the fourth in the arrangement of musical scales, and this symbol carried by Isis is a frame of four sides, not the usual three as a triangle. And as to the fa in resonant tone pertaining to all that vibrates in the square or the cube, that is all of created matter. By process of death, she gives life to a number of creatures of diverse forms through time and its perpetual change. The dragon sovereignty had evolved in Egypt from old Mesopotamia, and its tradition was vested in Sobek, the sacred crocodile of the Nile. And it was this sacred crocodile's fat that was used to anoint the pharaohs. In Egypt, there were the greater and lesser mysteries. These lesser mysteries relating to the mysteries of Isis that we have been discussing. And these lesser mysteries were for the people and many were initiated. In regard to the greater mysteries, these were the secrets of Serapis. And only the priest class were permitted to enter into these great mysteries. Even the heir to the throne was not eligible until he had been crowned Pharaoh. Tracy Twyman tells us that Serapis was worshipped in the form of a serpent, much in common with many of the higher deities of Egyptian and Greek pantheons. Serapis was called Theon Heptagrammaton, or the god with the name of seven letters. Serapis, S-E-R-A-P-I-S, like Abraxas and like Mithras, all containing seven letters. In their hymns to Serapis, the priests would chant the seven sacred vowel sounds, A-E-I-O-U, Y, and W. Occasionally, Serapis is depicted with horns or a cornet of seven rays, just like Lady Liberty in the New York Harbor. These seven rays representing the seven divine intelligences which manifest through solar light. Serpent worship was everywhere in Egypt, especially the veneration of the cobra. The goddess Wajet, W-A-D-J-E-T, was the patron goddess of Upper Egypt, of the White Crown, and she was represented as a cobra with a spread 
Good, a cobra-headed woman, and became the protective emblem of the cobra on the pharaoh's crown once lower and upper Egypt the red and the white houses of Egypt were united and this cobra on the pharaoh's crown was sometimes referred to as the basilisk E.A. Wallace Budge in his book Gods of the Egyptians volume 1 from an Egyptian translation we read the outer darkness is a great serpent the tail of which is in his mouth and it is outside the whole world in it there are many places of punishment and it containeth twelve halls this being the Ouroboros this snake with its tail in its mouth as a cartouche holding the twelve Horus or hours of the zodiacal cycle in the great sky clocks turning and Egypt was known as the land of the tree and serpent long before rabbinical texts and the progression of the Torah Egypt often used the symbol of a sun disk with a serpent wrapping it as its symbol for itself this sun enlightening the planet just as this serpent enlightened the humans in the garden giving the knowledge of good and evil and this serpent of the sun or serpent of fire in Greek was the basilisk the royal serpent and was associated with Moloch the king the sun identified with this serpent in Egypt was called Pouru being both fire and king and from this comes Puros the fiery crowned as with the seven rays this fiery serpent in Indian Kundalini is the serpent fire moving up the spine exciting the pineal gland opening the third eye secreting DMT the pineal gland a small gray gland the size of an almond situated in the brain where the spinal cord comes up into it it is said that when one has a hunch it is this gland that vibrates and if spiritual disciplines are utilized to increase and prolong its vibration this is the opening of the third eye the third eye as Uraeus the snake in Egyptian wall carvings the high priest in initiation rites used the earliest form of hypnosis the Yoga Sutra of Pantanjali this power to influence others mind is called vibhuti and in a mind before matter mindset we now know that how you view a thing will affect it on a subatomic level just as the coiled cobra 
as the third eye on the forehead shows that the mind can reach out and strike at the perceived reality we all behold. I would like to thank Christian Essex over at Big Barn Studios for all the production work as well as the background sounds you are hearing. And I am R. Marks, the researcher and recorder of said information, delving in and looking for ideas and how culture moves and why we think the way we think. I appreciate you listening, and I hope everyone out there has a beautiful day. Thank you.